Welcome to the Game Deflators Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. I am joined by our co-host, Ryan. Thanks, John. So here at the Game Deflators Podcast, we talk about games that we've recently picked up, games that we're currently playing, and then we always close out with our Inflation Deflation Challenge. This week, we'll be discussing Monster in My Pocket. Yep, that's right, man. So Monster in My Pocket on the NES is what we're looking to discuss this week. So those of you that haven't listened before, the Inflation Deflation segment, we pick a game that's on my shelf or a game that we can get our hands on. We play it for a few hours and then we actually go ahead and look up the value of that game uh, after the fact and see, was it worth that or um, is it not worth the value that's currently selling it? Typically, uh, with cartridge-based games, we're going to go based off of a loose cartridge price point, um, whereas with a lot of other titles, we'll kind of dictate, hey, here's what it's going for, um, complete in box with just a manual or just a game itself. So opening up this week, uh, we're going to discuss some of our recent pickups. So as uh, I've kind of mentioned in previous podcasts, I've been waiting for my copy of Owlboy on the Switch to come in. Uh, The game was obviously released earlier in the year, but there was a collector's edition that was supposed to come out in July and was delayed all the way into uh, mid-October. So I was crossing my fingers when breach into November. Uh, But I'll do a quick assessment on that that collection. It was about $70 is what it came out to. Uh, Obviously waited three to four months, so it was anticipating this thing to be good. Uh, right off the bat, it comes in like an 11 by 17 hard case, um, nice hard cardboard with a matte finish on it, uh, with the actual logo of Owlboy in gold on the front, uh, with the red case. And, uh, that immediately kind of struck me as, you know, pretty nice. Uh, I don't know where the heck I'm going to put this thing, but overall it's a pretty sweet looking case. Um, within it slips out a nice big piece of plastic. And uh, we've got a manual in there. We have the actual game itself. There is a notebook, which God knows I will never use. Uh, Ryan, you and I both talked about that earlier. There's no way in hell I'm going to use a random little four by six hardcover notebook. It's just not happening. So it's going to sit there and collect dust. Uh, There's a pretty cool pin set as well as a couple coins that come with it. Um, And it comes in a nice little snap case with uh, some foam on the inside to protect the coins. There's a certificate of authenticity. Um, again, oh, as I might have said in the past, these were limited to 6,000 per console. I want to say that it was based on regions. So, for example, 6,000 North America and then 6,000 in Europe. But I'm not entirely sure on that. I just know that I have uh, 3557 out of 6,000 on my certificate. Uh, it also comes with a sticker sheet and it comes with a soundtrack of the game itself. Um Issues I have with this collector's edition set, the manual that comes with the game does not fit in the actual case. So I don't know where the heck I'm supposed to put this thing. Uh, Generally, you would want to slip that manual within the game case itself. It's a very nice manual, but it's just a little too wide to go into the Switch case itself. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, Makes me wish actually I got the PS4 version for that reason alone. Um, But the cool thing is with it being on the Switch, it's portable. So if I'm going to bed, I can kind of boot it up and play before going to sleep. So that's pretty nice. Um, the pin set itself, uh, the foam doesn't hold the coins in all the way. So that was kind of a negative for me. Uh, but overall, it's pretty cool looking. And then uh, as far as, you know, things like, you know, I discuss a notebook. I'm never going to use that. Stickers, I'm not going to use that. So, uh, you know, from a value perspective, 70 bucks, I, I would be on the edge to say it's worth it i'd say it's probably worth maybe about 55 to 60 on that i would have liked to have paid a little less but the limited aspect of this title 
um, or not title, but limited aspect of this collector's edition was more of a selling point, I guess, for a lot of people, including myself. So um, that is my pickup for the week, man. I didn't have anything else crazy come up. Did you have any pickups? So, yeah, this week I didn't actually get any new games, but what I did get is a new case and some accessories for my Switch. I went ahead, I picked up the uh, Waterfield City Slicker case. It's uh, real nice. I have spent a lot of time checking out reviews and trying to find a case that I would really enjoy. I've had a couple different ones and they just never really work quite for what I need. Uh, it's a really nice uh, nylon with a leather cover. It's got a uh, zipper back to it that has a nice big pocket for storing things. The inside super soft. It's got two pouches on the inside and a really plush, uh, safe foam interior. You got slots for five games and some nice magnetic clasps to hold everything together. It's real sharp. It's made in San Francisco by hand. It's it's a premium case. It's like a hundred bucks for the case, which I mean, it's a lot. But for me personally, and having something that is going to protect my console and is going to be sharp looking and able to carry everything that I want to carry, it's really good. I've got my switch inside. I have a six foot uh, USB cable that has the USB C, the micro USB and lightning adapters on it so that I can charge all my devices on the go. I've got a 10,000 milliamp hour anchor power core battery and I still have room to carry a few more things. I've got my joy cons in there, got extra cleaning cloth. It really is. I'm, I'm really happy with the purchase. Uh, I'm kind of a bag guy. I've got a lot of bags and this makes me feel like I've got something unique and special that really stands out, but it really carries well. And, uh, the form factor is nice. The size is appropriate and it's not too cumbersome. And I could just pick this up and I've got everything I need with me for my day in one case, freeing up my pockets except for my phone and my keys. And that's that's really what I look for in something that I'm going to be using a lot and carrying a lot. And I feel like it's going to give me more opportunity to use my switch on the go as opposed to some of the other cases that I have because I don't have to I don't have to unzip anything. I don't have to worry about, you know, oh the Joy Cons aren't being protected because this is only for the screen. And it it looks like I said, it looks sharp. Like I can go out to a restaurant and I could set this, you know, down on the side of the table and it doesn't look like you know, I've got a big Mario emblem or I've got something, you know, some big plastic tacky looking case. So I, I'm really into it. You know, I've talked about it for probably longer than most people are going to talk about a case. But if you're interested in something nice and premium, I would uh, I would definitely look into Waterfield. 
It sounds good, man. And it has that nice uh, new leather smell um, that, oddly enough, I, I really enjoy. It's kind of like in a new pair of shoes, actually. Um, no, actually, it's a pretty nice case. So we'll actually link that um, within the YouTube uh, description so you guys can see that on here. Um, so I'll go into my recently played and recently beat uh, Elemental Gimmick Gear here in a bit, but I definitely want to open up with you and your recently played. So you actually uh, tried out the new Mario Party. Um, given the last few uh, releases of Mario Party that have come out on, I guess, the, the Wii U, really, um, was a bad one. And I guess uh, the most recent one on the Wii, I didn't enjoy too much. But you actually had a lot of fun with the newest uh, copy of that, didn't you? Yeah, so I went with my friend Zach to pick it up this week and give it a go. I've seen some YouTubers playing it. Uh, the guys from Normal Boots and um, Peanut Butter Gamer on his channel. And, you know, it looked like a ton of fun. And I've been a casual fan of Mario Party for a while. And after, you know, like John was saying, the disappointment in the everybody's in a car kind of system they tried out before. It's nice to see it go back to the classic Mario Party formula. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. We got our asses handed to us by uh, Luigi on hard mode two times in a row, but it was a ton of fun. I do have to ask, is Waluigi in the game? Yeah, Waluigi is in there. So, you know, fingers crossed for Smash. Yeah, man, I, I can definitely see it. So um, as far as I mean, there's no car anymore. So what are they doing? Or have they gone back to the, the classic star mode? Like how many coins are you needing to get stars? Like what have they done with that? Are there any improvements or uh, really um, things that have drawn it back to where it's maybe not that cool? I mean, what's your take on that? So the first off, the stars are now 10 coins instead of 20. You start with five coins instead of 10. So it's kind of close to the same. I mean, it does feel like <laughs> a game where you can pick up a lot of stars very quickly. Again, referencing those playthroughs I watched. I mean, I think at the end of uh, one of those games, I think there were like 16 stars in play total between everybody. Uh, we never got that high in the games that I played, but it's... Um, it definitely feels like it's adapted more for a portable experience uh, being on the go, you know, not having as long of a playtime, even though the 10 turn uh, minimum for a game does take right around an hour. Like they've got estimations for how many turns is going to equal to about how much time. And I mean, portability on the go, like if you have an hour to kill, you know, you could definitely get through that, but the mini games themselves are really, they, they feel like I want to play them longer. Like a lot of them seem like they wrap up. It's like quick 30 seconds, but I guess that just keeps the game moving and not really feeling like it's bogged down too hard. Did you actually play the game on uh, two little joy cons, like one each, or did you both have um, your joy cons like the set from each respective switch when you're playing no uh, as far as i could tell the whole game is only individual joy cons for controllers there's no pro controller support and uh due to the need for the hd rumble in some of the games now um as far as getting around the board they ditch the cart and they've done a lot of cool things to 
update and make you know some new variations so you've got your whole cast of characters you've got a bunch of new characters you've got goomba and Monty mole as playable characters which is a little weird bowser's a playable character for the first time and uh well, Bowser was technically playable in the Mario Party on the Wii U. You just couldn't use him uh, within the actual board portion, but you could play as Bowser's one person, if you recall. Oh, I never played that one, so... Okay, correction. Uh, but the cool thing is, every character has their own die. So you've got the chance each turn to use either a normal die, or you can use the character-specific die. And those are all totally different, like Bowser's has uh, two negative three coins. So you lose three coin if you roll that and you don't move. But he also has a 10 on his die. Uh, Shy Guy has a zero and five fours on his die. So you can move real consistently. And there's uh, everybody's die is different. So you have a lot more options for how you're going to get around the board. Now, there's also new spaces on the boards and new items that give you an ally. So when you get an ally, it randomly selects another character that was left in the pool to join you on the board. And you also get to choose their die. So you can get, I think, up to three allies. And so you get a whole bunch of different ways you can move around the board. Not only do you get their die, though, once you roll, they also roll a die that has ones and twos on it. And that number is added to your total. So like you could potentially roll like a 16 or more without even having to use items, depending on what character you're using. So when you say not have to use items, the items, I would assume, still remain in the game. And there's a variety of different things that you can use based on what you've seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you still have your mushrooms and stuff, but instead of giving you extra die to roll, they just add a flat or subtract a flat. Okay, I got you, man. Yeah, it sounds like uh, in your experience, it's pretty much taken the go at each other's throats, uh, sort of classic Mario Party, and they've kind of brought it down to a, a level where everybody feels equal in a sense. So you have those handicaps with those dice, the character dice. The stars are now much easier to get. So there's more in play versus I think the last time we played was a three hour session. And I think only six or seven stars were put in play within that three hour session. So not everybody got a star even throughout the entire uh, three hour time that we played. I think this was Mario Party 3 that we were playing on the N64. And so um, I don't know, man, based on what you've described so far, it sounds like it's more of a, a friendly environment for a Mario Party versus the I want to kill you at the end of this uh, type of situation. But tied into that, um, I've heard a lot of negative things as far as the selection of boards, that there's just not a whole lot of boards available and that it's likely Nintendo opening up to be able to, you know, a cash cow essentially for more boards through DLC and obviously not producing a, um, you know, uh, an expansion included with the actual game like a game of the year type of thing what's your experience so far in the actual uh the actual boards so i've only played two of the boards and uh you know they're fun i just wish that they were more fun like when i look back at some of the older mario parties i mean the spaceland really stands out in my mind as something that had 
a lot of style and a lot of flair. And it's like everything that was going on there really felt like, you know, it was a part of that, you know, tone. Your characters were like a costume to like blend in with the environment. And these boards, while they're, you know, visually they look really good, but I mean, you've got, only three to start and then you unlock a fourth which i haven't seen so i'm not going to comment on that one but the fruit islands they're fruit islands and as far as what's going on there it's just like it doesn't feel as imaginative like i want i want like a little bit more fun and play out of the developers to kind of match that kind of tone that used to be there and also, the boards are, they seem really small. I don't know if I just am imagining the older boards to be bigger than I remember, but like there's just not as much uh, gimmick in there. There's not as much like happening spaces that do things that affect, you know, on one of the boards, you hit a happening space and it just moves two thwomps. And yeah, you move the thwomps and change the path, but you could just pay the thwomps, I think, three coins or five coins to move out of the way. Like, it's hardly impactful, and it's barely changes anything. Like, it's not, it's not as fun as I think that they could have been with it. And with the small size of the boards, you can really get around quick. But I would have liked to see, you know, maybe depending on how long you're going to play, more customization options. I would like to see, you know, some more depth. Well, that's, uh, you know, for Nintendo coins. That's exactly what that's for. Uh, so, dude, overall, I mean, what are you going to what are you going to rate this game and the little bit of experience you had, I guess, a few hours of gameplay? I mean, it's despite all of the things that I wish it was. It's Mario Party and it's fun. And, you know, if you've got a group of people that love Mario Party or you're going to have a party and you want to get a group of people into Mario Party, this is definitely a great place to jump in and get on that. So, I mean, I haven't bought it. You know, I was playing with my friend when he picked it up, but I'm probably going to pick myself up a copy, too. I definitely give it like, I don't know, seven and a half. It's it's fun. You know, it's it's going to be good fun and it's going to be something that you can always kill some time with and, you know, just sit back and have a fun time trying to kill your friends. Yeah, sounds good, man. I'm, I might pick that up down the road as well. Um, you know, it's a little cheaper. <laughs> so uh, my recently played items, uh, I'll start out with Elemental Gimmick Gear. So last few podcasts, that's what I was playing. Finally beat the game. Um, so those of you that may not have heard before, it's pretty much this um, post-apocalyptic world where you have uh, this guy that was from 5,000 years in the past. Um, they ended up finding him in uh, these ruins. Um, and then he ends up uh, waking up a few hundred years later and uh, he has a special uh, EGG, so elemental gimmick gear, and they literally look like an egg. And I know you've been dying for me to say egg. Um, so it's this crazy old elemental gimmick gear and he goes around and um you know you just kind of it's this action style rpg where you're 
pretty much just punching monsters for the most part. You have a arm that extends out. You could pick up these magic stones throughout the uh, the game as like abilities where you can freeze things and put things on fire and um, have giant ray beams coming out of like radiation and such. So there's a lot of cool aspects to it. Um, the gameplay itself is pretty quick. Uh, the game length is about, I think I put 13 or 14 hours into it. Um, you can really, there's a lot of items that you can actually get. So I actually didn't even hundred percent this game. There's actually a lot of things, um, like additional upgrades to your energy tank, um, which your energy does deplete every time you've gotten hit or you're doing a spin move. Um, it depletes. And, uh, there's also different like power cells and such you can pick up for defense and, uh, increasing your magic stone capacity and your, um, your actual attack itself. So in the time that I played it or, you know, the 13 or so hours of this game, uh, the story was kind of lackluster in a sense up until like the last two hours of the title. Um, you're pretty much going through like this tower, just kind of in a sense, just solving puzzles. And, um, you pretty much come to the end of his tower, uh, end up finding like this pirate and he ends up getting arrested and placed in the town and, um, that you're in, um, I forget the name of the town offhand, uh, but he gets placed in there and they're telling him he needs to repent and whatnot. And they're shaming him and he's tied up and whatnot. And, uh, as you kind of progress through like these two chambers, it literally takes place in like two towers. Uh, one of them is like a basement setting and the other one is uh, a fog tower essentially. And, um, you know, you shortly find out and spoiler alerts here, I guess, for in addition to the ones I already did, um, you end up uh, finding out that your name is Beta and you're part of an advanced civilization that moved over to the moon after a major world war uh, pretty much destroyed the earth. And while you're on the moon, your team developed a um, purifying system uh, that was placed on earth and it was supposed to pretty much make it habitable again. But what ends up happening is this purifying system goes completely crazy and uh, decides for itself that to purify the world, it needs to get rid of all human existence and create a superior being uh, that would essentially take over the world and, you know, make it habitable again. Um, so the psycho mother, in a sense, um, is what, you know, is the main enemy towards the end. So. Uh, you obviously progress through the moon colony, you go through this big basement and, um, you end up finding psycho mother and, uh, speaking of her and, uh, she ends up going completely crazy and creates her superior being who's supposed to pretty much wipe out the entire earth and restart fresh. Um, but obviously there's humans there. So the, the overall end game here is you battle this superior being and uh, it's a super quick, easy battle. I mean, it's just patterns at that point um, in trying to solve like where he's going to hit you and what he's going to do next. And you can use your magic stones, just kind of spam them to beat him. Uh, but when all is said and done, I guess it was, you know, for a game that I actually enjoyed the musical scores and enjoyed the puzzles and gameplay, it was really lackluster towards the end. Um, you know, major spoiler for the ending here. Uh, it's pretty much once you beat him, uh, the psycho mother is destroyed. He's destroyed this, you know, superior being. Um, and it has a message on like taking care of the earth. So the entire thing is like, you know, just it screams like green party politicians made this game. It's, it's absolutely crazy how like the end of it's just like preaching about global warming and 
you know, making sure that we take care of the earth and then it just kind of cuts and that's it. So, um, I wasn't a huge fan of the ending. I mean, I got the messaging and it, and it made sense for the story and what I was doing throughout the entire game. But honestly, it just, dude, I think that game right now is selling for what, like 65 bucks on a complete, complete copy. And I would have to say it is 100% not worth $65 to pick up that game complete. Uh, Ryan's over here looking up what the, uh, the loose copy goes for. And maybe that can kind of salvage things. Yeah. So 37 bucks for a loose copy. I would honestly, if I was to buy this game, not discounted through the means that I typically get my games, um, I would at most pay 15 to 20 bucks for a loose copy at the very most, maybe $30 for a complete in box. I would never in my mind pay $65 for this game complete. So that's the game I recently beat. Going into my actively playing games, I decided to go ahead and immediately start playing Owlboy. So this game, on the other hand, I think is worth it. Now, as I said earlier in the podcast, uh, I paid about 70 bucks. Well, I did pay 70 bucks plus tax for the complete uh, edition of this, uh, which included the pins, the notebook, uh, sticker pad, and everything else that I discussed. And so the game itself retails for $30 new. I want to say it's hit some discounts as of late. Um, so the price point may even be lower than that. You could probably pick it up for $15, bucks. Um, you don't have to get a collector's edition by all means. Um, that was just a preference of mine. But the game itself, I mean, for $15, $20, bucks, if you're to grab this on a console and haven't played it on the PC, it's totally worth that price point uh, in the few hours I've played. I want to say the total gameplay is supposed to range around 8 to 10 hours of gameplay. Um, but so far, the art style is great. Um, it's definitely a, a retro style game in terms of a look. Uh, the story itself is pretty awesome. So you play as a mute owl boy uh, named Otis. And everybody in the town like just absolutely despises you. They think you're worthless and um, you, know, you should be shunned and... Um, not take part in their society. Um, but yet you're kind of like the hero behind the scenes and nobody recognizes you for it, at least in the few, um, stages I've been in. And, uh, some of the gameplay wise gameplay that you have, you can fly, you can dodge with Otis, you can pick up a variety of items and toss them like bombs. Uh, right now I've got two characters I can play as, um, Alphonse and Getty. Uh, Getty has kind of like a quick burst, like, laser ball shooting that he does. And then Alphonse, he's a pirate and has like a shotgun that also works as like a torch to burn down obstacles. So in that span of time, um, so far I've enjoyed the gameplay on it. Um, and then the story, uh, as I said, you've got these other characters, you're shunned, um, and you're making your way through, um, you know, essentially up to this like special capital city called advent and a spoiler here. Um, but Advent gets destroyed by this crazy pirate. Um, I forget the name offhand. I think it's Mulstrom is the pirate's name. And he just completely wrecks this town. Everybody in this town or capital has to go back to, um, I think it's called the Vale is uh, the city or the town that Otis is from. And they all go there and they're all refugees. And, and that's where the, the real adventure starts at this point. And so that's actually what I've, I've just gotten into. Um, but in that time frame, I would say, if I had paid 10 or 15 bucks for this game uh, loose or not loose, but 10 or 15 bucks, just right off the bat, no collector's edition, just picked it off a shelf right now. I would feel that that game is totally worth that, that price point. Um, 
Ryan, you have any questions on my experience of Owlboy so far, man? Um, I, I've seen some content on Owlboy before, and it definitely harkens back to, you know, those nostalgic retro feels that it, a lot of people in the market, especially indie market, have been going for a lot lately. And I mean, it's the same thing that really drew me in deep into the messenger and got me through that. And, you know, seeing what I've seen of Owlboy, it, uh, it seems like it's, it's really fun and it's got that same kind of pull. Um, I, I just want to hear more about the story after you beat it. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm truly enjoying it. Uh, as I said, the story, I mean, really what I've kind of discussed is the general gist of it. Town gets blown up. You get back into the uh, the city that you're at and you're like, we're going to start an adventure. We're going to go defeat these pirates. So that's definitely where I'm at right now. And then something to keep in mind is this game, they said, was inspired by the Mario Tanuki suit. So I think the game itself took around seven or eight years to develop by D-Pad Studios. And um their inspiration apparently was a Tanuki suit uh, in that you can spin and whip around with your owl boy Otis and um, the items. I mean, obviously you don't pick up items of a Tanuki suit in super Mario bros three outside of like shells and such. But uh, overall uh, I can definitely see that comparison. Um, the flying part, obviously it's cause he's an owl and that's not what a Tanuki suit would do for the most part outside of, if you had a little P symbol, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely cool so far, man. Um, so in talking about my collector's edition, uh, one thing I think you've experienced it and I've experienced it now is uh, what GameStop has been doing with collector's editions. So I'm not a huge fan of this for the most part, mainly because of the issue I've had with scalping and such in the past. So I went in the other day and uh, they said, hey, do you have any pre-orders or anything you want to pre-order at this point? And I said, yeah, I'm, you know, can you give me some more information on the uh, Switch version or not Switch version, but, you know, the new Super Smash Bros and the collector's edition? I'm just curious. And he's like, oh, well, we don't do pre-orders in store for that. It's online only. Well, my issue with that is, you know, first off online, we've already had numerous issues with Nintendo in the past and scalpers pretty much cleaning out a pre-order within a span of what is it, like 15, 20 seconds at times along with everybody else just kind of hammering through. So I don't like that idea. And the other thing is, you know, I can afford it, you know, granted, but you know, anybody that goes in there and wants to just put down 25 bucks for a special edition game, they can't do it because Nintendo or not Nintendo, but GameStop say, no, you got to pay for the entire thing up front and you can't do it in store. So it's a little frustrating. I mean, from, you know, any gamer really, I mean, especially kids that go in there and they want to pre-order a title and it can't because they either have to beg mom and dad to buy the entire thing up front, which I think is like 80 or 90 bucks. If I'm correct, it's actually probably more. It's probably like a hundred. So, you know, a quick hundred bucks for a family to go ahead and pre-order us, or you let a kid, you know, put down 25 bucks and then, you know, they're kind of set and it can chip away as it comes along. I mean, in my mind, that just defeats the entire reason for pre-ordering game and then yeah ryan just pulled it up and you know on ebay right now yeah but i mean that's a good point on ebay right now you've got it's 150 bucks for a pre-order of the same game and some even sitting at 270 something so that's kind of frustrating i mean goes to scalpers right away and you know gamestop doesn't care because they're selling the game so have you had any experiences like that recently man yeah so i know we've talked in the past about uh we're gonna do a challenge versus each other picking up the let's go editions of Eevee or Pikachu one each 
for Switch. And when I saw the collector's edition of the console coming out, I was, you know, nostalgia pulling at my heels. I was into the idea of having a Pokemon themed Switch. And I thought it would be a fun thing to get. It's 400 bucks, but it comes with a copy of the game. It comes with the Pokeball Plus controller and, uh, you know, unique colored Joy-Cons, a nice design on the back and a nice design on the dock. And I was like, you know what? I may splurge and check this out and have something fun. And then I went into GameStop to ask about it and they said, you got to go online and you got to pay full price up front. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like I have a switch. If I was going to get a new switch, I would want to play my switch up until the day that I'm going to go get the new one and just be able to go in, trade mine in and then pay the difference, you know, after putting my money down, but there's no way four months before the game came out that I was going to sell my switch and then put, you know, an extra 250 down just to get some different colors and a new game. So I, I was real disappointed with that. And then as I've been seeing over time, there's more and more special editions of the Switch coming out. There's the Smash version coming out. They put out a Fortnite version. And now they have a Diablo 3 version, which is so weird. I mean, Diablo 3 is a good game, but it's like seven years old and it only got one expansion. And who's nobody's still playing Diablo 3. I mean, it was kind of got a rebirth once they made it, you know, couch co-op on Xbox and PlayStation or no, I think it was just Xbox. I don't remember, but either way, it was, it was pretty fun to be able to, you know, mess around with your friends, but who's picking this up and why are they coming out with a special edition? And there's a slew of special editions out there. There was the, you know, the standard launch. They had the Splatoon. They had Mario. They had um, one that was really cool. I found they had a cardboard pack one and the whole console is like cardboard color, but that was free for a prize for through a contest. So, you know, that wasn't publicly available. They have a Mario Tennis one, and most of these are just bundles. There's not actual differences, or if there is, it's, you know, a unique color for the Joy-Cons or maybe a little bit of splash art on the dock. But in the past, the best collector's edition I've ever gotten, I got the Star Wars Connect uh, Bundle Xbox 360. I mean, it's all tricked out to look like r2d2 it makes the r2 noises when the tray opens it's even got my favorite little touch on the top of the tray when you open it it says uh help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope and it's just like oh that's just it's beautiful it's got a c3po gold controller with like some exposed like wiring like and looking at the bottom of it like that's a collector's edition like that's above and beyond and it's special and it's designed and it looks like something that's worth the money you put into it yeah and just looking at a lot of the collector's editions that have come out so far uh 
honestly, what's stopping us from getting decals and slapping them on the front of our Switch consoles and on the back of our Switch and just buying? Because, I mean, a lot of these controllers, um, the colors are widely available online. Like, we're looking right now, and you can pick up yellow controllers very easily right now, Joy-Cons, and slap on Pokemon logos on the front in silver, and you've got your special edition console. There's even um, third-party see-through um holders for your joy cons so you can pretty much swap out your joy cons and just have it in that old like see-through n64 style so with there being so many options via the third party market and even first party through nintendo uh i really don't see the purpose in a lot of these special edition consoles now i can say though if i had not purchased a switch um early last year or actually late two years uh, when it first came out um i would be down to buy one of these you know limited edition looking consoles i mean they do look pretty cool but if i was to just say yeah i want to go ahead and swap it out so i can get you know pikachu and eevee on the side of my um you know docking station i just don't see the value in that in trading in a console and on top of that i think you were telling me that they're even discussing releasing uh an upgraded switch i think not too long from now uh in 2019 so you know, God knows what that's going to have in it. And that already makes me feel like I've wasted my money on the current switch. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see what is put into this new switch. Do you, I mean, have you had any thought onto as to what you could want in a new switch console? Yeah. I mean, I'm super glad that I didn't wind up going with that upgrade to just a aesthetic difference. If they're going to come out with a new switch in 2019, you know, I would feel super ripped off buying a whole new switch just to get duped out a year later by an upgrade. And I mean, I think an upgrade could be due. Like, I love my switch. I think it's a great console. And, you know, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about it. But I've already looked into uh, third party accessories on uh, an Indiegogo campaign. I can't remember exactly the name of the accessory, but it's a small adapter that you can plug into the USB-C at the bottom to give you Bluetooth support. Like the fact that the switch doesn't come with Bluetooth headphone support is ridiculous. I mean, most phones are kind of going the way of getting rid of the headphone jack. I can appreciate Nintendo wanting to keep that in for people because they're not you know primarily a media thing but like if i'm playing the switch and i'm out in public like i don't really want to be blasting it at everybody you know on a on a train or a subway or wherever i'm at so i don't carry corded headphones with me because all my other accessories i can bluetooth connect to the audio so i'd love to see that um it, the things that I've read said that they might be switching to a more appropriate uh, screen being in line with like cell phones and tablets, which are thinner and consume less power and have more, uh, you know, could produce a higher quality image, though I'm not sure if they're actually going to update the tech inside. I mean, the tech inside of these, from what I've heard, is actually, you know, a few years behind. And, you know, the newer, more powerful tech obviously jacks the price up. And Nintendo's always been a company that wants to keep the cost down so that they get more money 
from the console itself, as opposed to selling the console at a major loss and trying to make up for it in accessories and games, which, you know, they still clean house on. I mean, lots of people out there have pro controllers and uh, extra sets of joy cons, you know, tons of first party games and accessories. And a lot of this stuff is, you know, good enough for the console that it justifies them being able to put a little bit more into the hardware itself to make that console, you know, a little bit thinner, a little bit uh, better looking and, you know, conserve that power. Cause I mean, I had to buy that 10,000 milliamp hour uh, battery bank, which is great so that I can charge, you know, on the go, you know, give me an extra almost 10 hours of life. But that small battery pack holds more power in it than the console itself by a great margin. So, you know, there's a, a little bit of a trade off here. Like I would totally buy a new switch, but I think I'm going to learn from this lesson and wait until a special edition version of the new switch comes out. Well, man, I kind of made that mistake with the, uh, the Wii U. I purchased the legend of Zelda edition and, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool console. I mean, I still love it and I still play it, but I don't know. This is kind of a guessing game in a, in a sense, um, with the special editions, uh, as far as a new switch is concerned, man, I mean, you pretty much, I would echo exactly what you said as far as what you would look to get and what they've said they would include not really trusting Nintendo just based on previous experiences that I've had with them. Um, I would actually just go as far as saying that the technology that they're going to put in a new switch console is likely going to be a year behind to keep that cost low, uh, which is pretty unfortunate uh, when you think about it. So any other news that you want to chat about? I mean, I think we're pretty well covered on the actual uh, news aspect today. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was some other stuff out there this week, but this is mostly what I wanted to get on about. And uh, I think from here, we'll just go straight into talking about Monster in My Pocket. Yeah, so uh, our inflation deflation this week is Monster in My Pocket. Uh, Ryan's done a little more research than I have on the history of this game. Um, but just a little uh, back-end story on it. Monster in My Pocket uh, was released on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And a loose copy of this game is going for about 35 bucks. And uh, complete is going for ninety five, which I think is absolutely ridiculous given uh, our experience of his title. Um, but we will we'll see in the inflation deflation what our thoughts are. So why don't you give us a little history on this game? Okay, so Monster in My Pocket is based off of of all things a toy series made by uh, Matchbox in the late eighties. They released up to seven or eleven series. Over 200 figures. Think, um, think army men or any of those, you know, little small plastic figures that, you know, you used to play with when you were a kid because you could buy them in bulk and have like a whole army instead of having, you know, just like one, you know, big action figure. So they released those and I guess that they were. Super popular because this spawned a whole franchise. Monster in My Pocket has the figures, a board game, trading card game, comic books, 
the video game animated specials and even a CGI series from 2003 released in the United Kingdom and uh, supposedly meant for release here in the US on Cartoon Network as well. But that never wound up going through. But the um, the mammoth enterprise that is monster in my pocket and its intense history is pretty fun uh it's not something i was expecting to happen i thought this was just kind of like a weird one-off game like when you're playing it your small figures you know appropriate to the size that's you know all the other media is based around and the figures are but like me and John both thought when we first started playing the game, like this has some real Indian in the cupboard vibes going on here. Cause you're running around in, you know, full size environments, but you're like a little tiny figure on the shelf, you know, standing on chairs and, you know, desks running around. Yeah, man, I got that vibe right away with this game. Uh, really? I, I actually enjoyed this game. I don't know uh, fully if you did, but uh, the game actually came out in uh, 1992, and it's a platformer style. It's single player or co-op. I want to say you have, um, from just a base game, no cheats or game shark or anything like that, uh, each player has three lives, um, and then you have three continues uh, throughout that. And it's actually uh, made by Konami. Uh, we actually tried to do the Konami code at one point, but for some reason just could not get it to go. Um, and it allows you to unlock, I want to say it was Frankenstein, if I'm correct, or... Or another character. I don't remember. That's apparently what the Konami code does for this game. It allows for a third playable character uh, within the the actual game. So I'll go into a little bit of the gameplay. Um, the gameplay itself, as I said, it's a platformer, um, but it feels, in my opinion, very limited. It's fun, but it's definitely limited. Uh, each character you can uh, jump, double jump, and swipe. And then you can obviously duck down and, and do that type of thing. And then you could pick up things like uh, there's keys and screws and other things that you could pick up uh, throughout each level. And so that to me was just pretty limited. It wasn't like a Mario platformer and I hate to compare it to Mario, but it wasn't like that style of a game where, you know, you can spin with your Tanuki suit or you could um, hop on something and grab it or shoot fireballs or anything along those lines. It was just straight out, you are, I think we played as a vampire and a werewolf, I want to say. Frankenstein. Frankenstein, so that maybe the werewolf was the unlockable, if it actually is true. Um, but we pretty much just had the ability to swipe, and that was it, and just progress through levels, and um, obviously have a slew of different enemies. So I felt that that was very limited, and I wish there would have been a little bit more. Um, the ease of the game, as far as I felt, was not Nintendo hard. Um, and that being, you know, we played it last week for a little bit uh, after our recording of the podcast uh, for season two, episode three. And we probably within the span of like 20 minutes got to like the second stage. And we're like, OK, yeah, this is pretty cool. Can't wait to play it next week. And then today we just kind of jumped into it. And then like the hour we played got over to stage five and it was like, all right, yeah, if we would have played this for another hour, maybe two, we would have definitely just beat the game outright and probably could have beat it um, individually, uh, for that, for the most part. Um, the really cool thing though. So, um, actually going back into that. So the ease of it, I would say is pretty enjoyable. It's a game you can pick up, play and enjoy and not feel like you're going to die at every corner. So that's pretty cool. 
Um, the enemies themselves do get increasingly more difficult or to increase in difficulty as you progress. So I want to say at like the sixth stage, uh, you have like these mummy type statues that will chase you when your back is turned. But when you turn around, they run away. And then on top of that, you've got like things flying around you, shooting laser beams at the exact same time. So uh, Ryan actually jinxed me. I was actually blasting through that level. And the second he said, wow, man, you're blasting through this level. I started to die. So that was disappointing. So I hate you for that. Yeah, the the enemy variety is actually a really good part about the game. And it seems like they took good advantage of that vast amount of different characters that they had from their figure collections. So it's really well represented in the different uh, the different enemy sprites and the different attacks and stuff. You know, you've got sphinxes shooting fireballs and uh, wyverns carrying uh, eggs to drop on you. You've got um, kind of like a Jack the Ripper kind of guy jumping and throwing daggers. There's all kinds of different enemies in different kinds of patterns. It's got a very kind of old school Castlevania way of laying out its challenges too. Like there's a part in, I think the second or third level where you're uh, you're underground in a sewer and you have to float across a stretch of water like on a overturned can or something. And as you're going across fish are jumping up out of the water and you can't really dodge them very well or duck under them too well. And if they hit you, they'll knock you off the platform and you'll lose a life. But if you time it right, you can jump up and knock them right out of the air. So your challenges are laid out in such a way that you don't just clear through everything uh, by just mindlessly moving forward. Like there's a lot of obstacles that you have to duck and hit to destroy the obstacle or projectiles that are undestroyable. So you really have to use your platforming to get around the obstacles and they're laid out in such a way that if you get the timing right, you can appropriately address everything to hang on to that uh, precious health and lives to get through. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely agree with you on that. Uh, like I said, the gameplay itself, I, I actually kind of, uh, outside of the limited ability to do things, I do like the variety of enemies as you progress through each level and seeing the difficulty increase. And as you said, things throwing fireballs at you. Um, you have, I think, one level where there's like a mechanical arm that stretches out from one of the enemies. So there's some pretty cool you know, things that are, uh, are put in this game based on the series itself. So definitely a good point. And then as we said, the world, uh, the setting of this game is you're pretty much two small monsters in a real world type of atmosphere. So I think the level we ended up losing on, um, was like an Asian world where, uh, it was the Ori Oriental garden, I think is what it was. And, um, yeah, that's where we ended up closing it out and just saying, all right, we're out of continues. Let's go ahead and record. So, uh, any other thoughts that you had on this game, man? Obviously, you looked a lot more into the history than I did. I kind of focused more on on the gameplay um, for this title. Anything else? Um, you know, I liked it. I've um, I've not really played a whole lot of NES games, but as far as this one goes, it 
it felt really good. You know, it controlled really well. Um, I, I really like the aesthetic of it. It's, uh, it's kind of fun playing as a Frankenstein, but you know, you're not like this slow bulky moving, like you're like anime dashing around and, you know, you've got like those like sweet poses. It's, it's got a very, you know, influenced by, uh, that type of aesthetic in the game that is a fun, different way to see, you know, some of these monsters in and, uh, the, like we were talking earlier, the Indian in the cupboard kind of scale of, you know, being a small figure in interacting with these, you know, everyday normal environments and having to navigate your way around coffee mugs and, stacks of plates is is a fun gameplay for this type of genre and i i really enjoyed it but um as far as 35 bucks for a loose copy i mean like we said it only took us a couple of playthroughs and we got to the second to last level you know in an hour so as much as i liked it I think that it's not quite worth the 35 bucks for a loose copy. I might be persuaded to pick up one for, I don't know, 10, 15. Like if I, if it was something that I liked enough that I could replay a few times or have somebody come over and it's like, Hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. Let's just have a couple beers and play some monster in my pocket. Cause you can get through it in not too long of a time. Um, John's the collector, so I don't know how much it's worth to him and his collection, but I, I'm going to go ahead and pass on this one. So I'm going to take the opposite approach in a sense. I'm not saying $35 worth. Definitely not uh, worth that in my opinion. But uh, if it's available, GameStop typically has this game for 30 bucks, you know, through their retro stuff. Um, and they do have frequent flash sales on retro. So if you can pick up the game through GameStop for you know, 20, 25 bucks. Um, I would think it might be worth picking up at that point. I want to say I paid uh, maybe 10, three or four years ago for this game. So, you know, given the rate of inflation and everything else that's kind of come with these games um, over recent years, I would say if you picked it up for 20, maybe at the very highest 25, if you were that desperate, uh, it would be worth the playthrough at that point. Um, but I would go ahead and say that this game is inflated. And based on what Ryan has pulled up for me, uh, this game was selling. That doesn't look to be right because it says 41 cents. Um, but it has risen quite a bit in the last three years. I'd say somewhere around mm, double, it looks like on here. So, yeah. Um, well, I guess that kind of closes out our uh, inflation deflation for this. So uh, Ryan appears to be on the deflation side of things. Um, I am also on the deflation side of this. So we're going to go ahead and take a pass overall on the price point. Gameplay wise, definitely worth it. Now, a little sneak peek into next week. So we're kind of going with a um, Halloween theme since it is October. So monsters in my pocket. And we're kind of going back and forth on the next title. Um we're going to go ahead and play Porky Pig's Haunted Adventure on the Super Nintendo. Now, Ryan, you don't know this, man, but this is a game that I played a lot when I was a kid because it was just a, a super cheap game, and I was able to pick it up at a Blockbuster for like 
two bucks when I was a kid. So it was totally worth it for me to to pick that up when I was younger and play through it. And I played the hell out of it. So I'm definitely uh, going to have a little bit of nostalgia going back and forth with this one. Um, given the the gameplay that you've probably looked at already since since we decided on this game, what are your initial thoughts? Like, what are you expecting? Um, I'm expecting some uh, rollicking adventures with uh, my favorite pig. I love Looney Tunes, and I've got a whole bunch of nostalgia for watching those old school cartoons. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man, you're definitely gonna like it. Actually, it's uh, it's quite the game. For I think it's five bucks right now that you can grab it for. So yeah, why don't we why don't we look that up while we've got everything? Go to go to this website right here, man. Yeah, just type it in there, and we'll see what the average price point is right now. Provided Ryan can spell Porky Pig right. So right now, Porky Pig is sitting at exactly $5. Now, I hate to be that podcast where we're going to, you know, potentially assist in the boosting up of prices on games. But, you know, for five bucks, you can't go wrong on this game. It's definitely worth it for that price point. I mean, a movie is going to get you, what, two hours and cost you double. Even if you play this game for an hour and say, you know what, it sucks. It's still, I think it's worth five bucks at that point. So I guess we'll find out, man. Yeah. So uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. So this has been John and Ryan and we're the game deflators.